We're going to begin a series of podcasts on the urinary system, and this series will actually consist of seven podcasts. This first one will just cover some general information. Then we'll talk about cells along the uriniferous tubule in the second podcast. The third podcast will talk about the microanatomy of the kidney. In the fourth podcast, we'll talk about the glomerulus infiltration. In the fifth podcast, we'll talk about renal tubules and collecting ducts. In the sixth podcast, we'll talk about the ureter, the bladder, and just highlight some clinical correlations that you'll see in relation to the urinary system. And then finally, in the last podcast, we'll just give an overview of some histology slides for the urinary system. Your learning objectives for all of these podcasts, you should be able to explain the microanatomy and histology of the organs of the urinary system. You should be able to identify which portion of the kidney a histological image is taken from, and this will become very important to you in the laboratory. You should be able to explain the unique features and specializations of each region of the nephron and uriniferous tubule. You should be able to list hormones that are involved with the kidney and what these hormones do. And you should be able to explain the histophysiology of urine formation and homeostasis. And these last two learning objectives are especially important as you try to correlate what you learn in this course with what you're going to learn in your physiology course. The urinary system consists of paired kidneys, paired ureters, the bladder, and the urethra. This is a, a critical point dried specimen of a guinea pig kidney that was prepared by Dr. Hostler in our department. And I like this image because it just shows a, a nice general overview of the anatomy of the kidney. You can see the renal arteries coming in and branching into these segmented arteries. But even at this very low power, you can see a cortex and a medulla and there's clearly a boundary between the cortex and medulla and I think you might even imagine that you can see the renal corpuscles in, in the cortex at this low power view. This is just a nice diagram of the kidney so you can clearly see a cortex and a medulla we will define structures in each of these regions. Medullary rays are actually cortical structures that consist of the straight portions of the proximal and distal tubule and the cortical collecting duct. We call these medullary rays because they're structures that are in the cortex but they point towards the medulla. Then we will talk about the different types of nephrons. We can define cortical nephrons, which begin high up in the cortex. Uh, and these are also called short-looped nephrons. Those are the nephrons that predominate in humans. And then we can talk about juxtamedullary nephrons, nephrons that begin near the boundary of the cortex and medulla. These are so-called long-looped nephrons, and they're critically important in water conservation. Now, some histologists also describe an intermediate-length nephron, which, as you might expect, is intermediate in length between the short-looped and the long-looped nephrons. That's not something that I feel you need to worry about for this course.
as you might imagine from your studies in gross anatomy, the kidneys are highly vascular and they actually receive about 25% of the cardiac output and the entire volume of blood passes through the kidneys something like every four to five minutes. The kidneys are very active as far as producing urine and urine is an ultrafiltrated plasma the kidneys produce 125 mils of filtrate in a minute one mil of that filtrate is released as urine 124 mils is reabsorbed so just to put this in perspective the kidneys produce 180 liters of filtrate in a day although we only produce about 1500 milliliters of urine in a 24-hour period so most of the filtrate that's produced by the kidneys is reabsorbed. If we look at the urinary role of the kidneys, clearly this is involved in conservation of water and electrolytes, as you might imagine, those 180-some liters of fluid that get reabsorbed. Uh, the kidneys clearly dispose of waste products. They regulate extracellular fluid volume, so they're critically important in maintaining homeostasis throughout the body, and you'll look at this in very much more detail in your physiology course. As far as an endocrine role of the kidneys, the kidneys do function as an endocrine organ. So, for example, the kidneys synthesize and secrete erythropoietin, and erythropoietin is a growth factor for red blood cells. Erythropoietin may also serve some other functions in the body. Notably, it may play some role in angiogenesis. It may have some neuroprotective functions, and it may stimulate the synthesis or secretion of other endocrine organs. The kidneys synthesize and secrete renin, and renin plays an important role in vasoconstriction by way of the renin-angiotensin system. We'll talk a little bit about that in our course. You'll talk about it in much greater detail elsewhere. And the kidneys also synthesize and secrete 125-dihydroxy vitamin D3, also known as dihydroxycholocalciferol. This hormone plays an important role in calcium balance. It increases absorption of calcium from the intestines and the kidney, and it stimulates the parathyroid gland. The kidneys also function in response to hormones. So, for example, the kidneys function in response to atrial natriuretic peptide and also a related peptide, brain natriuretic peptide. These peptides alter the glomerular filtration rate. They inhibit sodium chloride reabsorption and they inhibit the release of renin. The kidneys also respond to aldosterone, and as you'll learn in physiology, aldosterone alters the function of principal cells in the collecting ducts of the kidney. Aldosterone increases sodium chloride reabsorption, and aldosterone also increases the secretion of potassium. The kidneys respond to parathyroid hormone and to some other hormones. And parathyroid hormone stimulates an increase in calcium reabsorption. Parathyroid hormone stimulates activity of osteoclasts. This is not related to its role in the function of kidney, but parathyroid hormone stimulates 
osteoclasts indirectly by stimulating osteoblasts and then by virtue of rank signaling the osteoblasts stimulate activity of osteoclasts. Parathyroid hormone in the kidney also causes a decrease in phosphate reabsorption. I would like to just take a minute or two and define something for you in relation to how anatomists look at kidney structure versus how physiologists look at kidney structure. First, let's just look at the cartoon here and we can highlight the various pieces, parts of the kidney. So what I've highlighted here would be Bowman's capsule with the glomerulus within Bowman's capsule, the proximal convoluted tubule, the proximal tubule, the loop of Henle, which one might define as descending and ascending portions of the loop of Henle, and sometimes you talk about the thick portion of the loop of Henle, either the thick descending or the thick ascending portions of the loop of Henle, or the thin loop of Henle, either the thin descending or thin ascending limbs of the loop of Henle. We also talk about the distal tubule and the distal convoluted tubule with the macula densa. We can talk about the cortical or arched portions of the collecting tubules, the collecting tubules proper, and finally the collecting duct. Physiologists and histologists look at this nomenclature differently. A histologist or an anatomist would signify this region as the nephron and this region as the collecting tubules and ducts. So the histologists or anatomists would call the entire structure the uriniferous tubule. On the other hand, physiologists like to call the entire structure the nephron. Anatomists make the distinction because these portions have a different embryologic origin than the collecting tubules and collecting ducts. This is not that critical for you just as long as you understand that anatomists term the structures a little differently than the physiologists. Function, it doesn't really make that much difference. Now I would like to highlight a few things for you on this little diagram that I've inset. We can talk about arched collecting tubules. These are in the cortex. These arched collecting tubules in the cortex are going to connect collecting portions of the distal convoluted tubule and they're going to descend into medullary rays and the collecting ducts within medullary rays merge to become straight collecting tubules in the medulla and in the inner zone of the medulla the straight collecting tubules are going to merge to form the papillary ducts the very largest excretory ducts in the kidney now we're going to define in a later podcast the differences between principal cells or intercalated cells, also known as light cells and dark cells, respectively. And this will conclude this first brief podcast. In the next podcast, we'll review some of the cell types along the uriniferous tubule.